0: This is an Australian Museum podcast. Welcome to Live Talks at the AM, recorded in front of a live audience at the Australian Museum in Sydney.
1: My name's Karen Rookie. I'm a creative producer here at the Australian Museum. And before I start, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to both um, Elders past and present and to extend that respect to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters and non-Aboriginal people that are present tonight. Welcome. Welcome to the Australian Museum. It's with great pleasure that I present this talk, well, that we present this talk to you, very exciting talk today, collecting today the Osaro mud masks from Papua New Guinea Highlands. And tonight we're joined by acclaimed Australian journalist and Lowy Institute Fellow Sean Dorney, who will be facilitating the panel discussion with our distinguished guests. So without further ado, please make Sean very welcome.
0: Thank you. And what a great audience. Um, I lived in Papua New Guinea for 20 years altogether in uh, three terms one for three years on secondment to the National Broadcasting Commission, then five years as the ABC correspondent until they deported me. Then they let me back and I spent another 12 years there. And the ABC was a bit worried, I think I might stay there for another 50 years, so they pulled me out after 12. But I must confess, in all that time I spent in PNG, I never actually visited Kumanive village. I did drive past it on the Highlands Highway quite a few times, and I've certainly seen their performances at various shows around Papua New Guinea, and I think we'd all agree that, without a doubt, these dancers and their masks represent one of the most culturally distinctive features of Papua New Guinea, known around the world. And the exciting thing about it is that that culture is still evolving. We'll delve a bit into that tonight, but first let me introduce the panel and if I could invite them to come forward and sit down here. First of all, Jim Gahia, who is one of the performers but also... uh, Also... One of the men who makes these holossa masks, halsa being the local language term for spirit or ghost. Uh, secondly, we have Stephen Keck-Torhio. <clears throat> another of the performers from Comeniveve. Thirdly, we have Kinit, Barry, a a documentary filmmaker based in Garoka in the Eastern Highlands and um, she has put together this uh, vision that we're watching behind us here tonight. And finally there is Yvonne Carrillo-Hoffman. Yvonne is the senior collections officer with the Pacific Collection at the Australian Museum, and also the manager of the the project manager of the Asaro acquisitions field project, which is what this is all about tonight. So, Yvonne, if I could start with you, uh, the Australian Museum has been responsible for many innovative things over the years. I think this ranks with about the best, but could you tell us how it all came about?
2: Yeah, um, well, first of all, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we stand, the Gadigal people, um, past, present, and future, before I start. Um, Well, it came about with um, a proposal um, to um, the Australian Museum Foundation to expand the Eastern Highlands collection. Uh, We got a very vast collection of um, Highlands material in the museum. But within the, East, within the Eastern Highlands, um, we got some masks, but no holosome masks. So uh, it was proposed to do a little bit of research about this, to try and to fill up this gap. Uh, we put a proposal. Uh, it went to the foundation, and um, and it was accepted. So um, that's how it started off. Um, and then the rest, well, it was a it's 10 months project, and um, we immediately contact contacted... Um, Clinique Barry and Dylan Doiky to make sure that they will be available for this project because they are always in very high demand. After that, uh, we start with the logistics of um, community engagement and Clinique uh, was responsible for that. She did all the groundwork, uh, community liaison, which was fundamental for to have the approval and the consent and uh, the understanding of the community about what we wanted to do it and how we wanted to do it which was to document every single mask from the very beginning, They all h- stories. There is a lot of different type of uh, stories uh, and versions about Holosa masks. We wanted to know theirs. And um, according to them, uh, they are the traditional owners of um, the Holosa from the very beginning. So we wanted to do that. We wanted to document their h- stories, and we want to also document um, all aspects of how they make the masks, and also the reenactment of some of the tragedies that happened in the old times during that intertribal warfare, which was rampant at the time in the late 1800s. So, that's how basically it started, in a nutshell.
0: Klina, <laughs> could you tell us about your role in this and uh, your reaction when you were first approached to be involved?
3: Good evening, everyone. And uh, this is my second project with the Australian Museum. Uh, the first one was in 2010 with the Beds of Paradise. Where we brought some men from the Huli people, from the Southern Highlands, and when they invited me to take on this challenge for this um, Asaro Madmen, I was very happy to take on board because I know the challenges and and yeah and the achievements that we will, and the people were amazing. They they were very supportive with the project and they were willing to share their stories with us all. So that is why we are here. Thank you.
0: Stephen, there is some contested history over where this all arose from. Um, If you read some of the tourist brochures, uh, it was people who, from their village who fled into the Asaro River and got covered in mud, and as they emerged, it terrified their uh, oppressors or the people who were attacking them, and uh, then they decided to adopt that as as a... uh, as a cultural way of approaching uh, enemies, I suppose. But um, can you tell us what your version, what's your understanding of where this all began?
3: Um, Ladies and gentlemen, before um, Stephen and Jim, um, we will speak in our own dialect because this is our story. We'd like to speak in our dialect. They'll speak in our own dialect. um, I'm from them, like we are... I can speak their dialect, we can understand each other. So they will speak in their own dialect, and then I will share with you in our common language, English. So that's Stephen. Good evening,
4: everyone. We are
3: very happy to be here, and we would like to acknowledge the Australian Museum for giving us this opportunity to be here
4: tonight. Sorry, brief story
3: I will now tell you my
4: story of the Holosa masks
3: lupunho was the founder of uh, the mask lupunho was married to the nearby um um tribe and it was Upper asaro it's called kemanimo um, if I know m- most of you, some of Papua New Guinea say, yeah, Watabum. That's where he was married to, and he was there, and there was a sin in or a big um, ceremony there. And then, um, as everyone was getting dressed in their traditional costume, he had nothing. So he, he thought, oh, what am I supposed to do here? So he was looking around, and he saw this old bilum, the string back where bilum, and then he got it, and making two holes, he made two holes to see, like face of a man. And then he, yeah, he covered himself. He dived into the underground clay, and he was all covered with, uh, with clay. And then he had a feather and then a bow and arrow. And then he walked out to be part of the performance. And it was strange. He was different, so everyone fled like they couldn't you know see him come they thought it was a ghost coming that's the story of uh, lupuno how he created the first mask
4: okwowo na kunaro okuru evokavokone ne dele atokono bozo lokavone thiki me omoniga sikene ne ne ta ne me horosa ne so egoroka so emidiki takebo ne ne ta ne ne 19 1950 Fifty-seven, I think. Fifty-seven who can a corocaso emit take over on it. Culture amount of heroic on an air. They ended up only can uh Meta Genevena and then so every kids who take a First prize minimum could take in an an.
3: The first person that um that in uh, that did the mask was Lupunho, and then the brother was Okoroho. He went up to visit the brother lupunho at where his, um, he was. And when he went there, he told the brother told uh, the story that oh, I did this, and you know the people were intimidated, and they were like they ran away. So I think it's a good thing that if there's anything happening, you know, like we would do this one to attract people or intimidate people. So when they came down, and it was used also during the they had a warfare with the tribal uh, neighboring tribals or tribal villages. And they, they said, oh, instead of, you know, that at that time we had bows and arrows, like they demonstrated here. They said, instead of, you know, going and, you know, um, just fighting or getting hurt, we might do this. So they decided to, to cover themselves with the clay, and, you know, they come up with different ideas of ghosts, you know, imaginations, and they, one time they went and they attacked that attacked the nearby villages, um, their tribal um, tribe, and then they they did one, and you can see it at the back that we enacted that one to help uh, to help them understand what it has been done in the past to document it. So yeah, his his big ones um, I'll sh- I'll share more, and then he said um when they um uh, when they went there you know children and. Every, you know, like, especially the warriors, they were like, oh, what's this, it's ghost. So they just fled. They left their villages and they they fled. And that's how they they won the the tribal warfare. And then he also mentioned the first Gorokasho in 1957. Um, The clan leader was approached by the chairman of the Gorokasho. And, you know, like, he asked them, if you have something to display at the show. And it was the first show, so uh, Okoroho told the others that, you know, why not we do this because it's very interesting. People are going to gather around and we might get some, you know, attractions. Then there were about more than 50, 60 men dressed, all dressed in the mask and they went to the show. Instead of, you know, attracting the mask, they kind of dispersed the crowd. And, you know, like everybody f- just fled living there, you know, like, oh, no, they might. Because they come in not only with bows and arrows, but with eggs and, you know, stone eggs. So, yeah, they said, and then they won the first
0: prize.
4: I don't know. I don't know if i I don't know if i Yeah, and after the show, because
3: they won the first prize, they had a big feast. They celebrated it. And then they embraced it. And they said, okay, now, any event, any public uh, performance, that is what we're going to present because it's ours. It was, you know, they took it and they, they share it with others, and yeah, ev- like every performance, they, they go out, and they are well known, you know, like in, in the Eastern Highlands and in Papua New Guinea, and they have traveled abroad. And they are very, very proud and happy tonight because they said this is the first of its kind. It used to be tourist attraction, tourists come, just collect them, they go, they don't know what they do with them. But they would like to say thank you, thank you to Australian Museum to take them here to preserve them so that they can share their story.
0: Clenet, um you're from the Eastern Highlands, but you're not from their area. But as an Eastern Highlander, does it make you proud that this has become such a well-known aspect of of Papua New
3: Guinea? It's like, you know, like, every one of you, when I'm seeing you, though you are from Spanish, Italy, but you're living in Australia, you are all Australians. Okay, I'm from Eastern Highlands, and I am proud to be an Asaro woman. My district is Asaro. They are my people. Um, In Papua New Guinea, we all know that there are 850 languages diverse in different cultures. Um, they Their village, uh, actually we are enemies like in the past. <laughs> um, but our dialect, our language is called um, Tokano. We have the same language, uh, but the dialect is a bit changed. Small, small. So yeah, but I can understand them and yeah, I'm always proud to be an.
0: Yeah, there are 860 languages or more in Papua New Guinea and where my wife is from in Manas, you go 10 kilometres down the beach and they speak an entirely different language. Uh, Jim, could you talk about the actual process of making the masks?
5: Thank you. For usami yeah. walking, papa blow me. i lani running me. Tumbunab blow me running so. Me wa walking logan me walking nika.
3: Holosam mask has been passed on from my grandparents or from my generation, from my ancestors.
5: Um, we play no so say running narap lah family. All picking me blow me play yet. We only
3: share with within
5: ourselves. we We don't
3: want to share with others. Is it, <laughs> it, this is our story.
5: we share with share with others. Australian Museum.
3: We are happy to be here at the Australian Museum. Thank you. Thank you.
5: <laughs> First time, I working on and Bilum. First is Bilum, second is Mambo. When Lupunho found, the
3: founder, the original founder, he made it with the old string bag or bilum. The When they took it to the Goroka, so it was bilum and the bamboo strips and also the banana bag. They cut the, like mask. And now, now he's doing it with clay, pure clay.
0: Now, there have been uh, some other people in Papua New Guinea trying to imitate um, the work that these people have done. Could we talk about that? Because I have heard that at one stage there was a village in the Chimbu province that tried to take take over the, uh, the authority for, for this. So I'd, I'd be very interested to hear what they feel about other people trying to take this cultural heritage from them. If you could ask these, could you ask Jim and Stephen?
4: OK. I'm uh, Okay, this, the
3: story of the Holosa mask, it does not belong to any other person, any other people in the eastern, uh, I mean Papua New Guinea. It belongs to community This is their story. This is their version of the story.
4: Tinnesa, without a film, Cavalani taking an aeritis, first of this kind, Munic and or Tecona, and a Mucati, Tulis, Tomero Sabero. original Asaro madman it a strett, the men on
3: original
4: madman. on a copyright <laughs> madmen amana 51 iwonene renum to gomoni ga ne ri sabero copyright to a gomon demari ti rimama wonene kan kan poponi guin ma tikimon kina bo member ati wurai ma tourist ba bana ene madmen mani me konime ko ne vig poponi guin ba bana ene gomoni ga bo kono ne ri kina no so that ri kine tikimon ki kan kan ri kine na ber okay okay um, what
3: they are saying is the copyright at the moment, d- there is a copyright issue, they don't have copyrights, so anybody is practicing this, but uh, the story is their story. So they, they would not want anyone to, um, like, um, imitate them or to, to take this story away from them because it belongs to them. And they're also saying, you know, Papua New Guinea and the government, they would like the, our government to recognize them as it belongs to the Kominive tribe.
4: So he, he's
3: just expressing, you know, there's so many tour guides that, you know, they send that they, they're going to Asaro, but some they go off to Chimbu and some to other places in the highlands, and they, they t- they're telling them that, oh, this is anywhere, but actually they, they haven't been to anywhere. He's just expressing that. Thank you. He's saying thank you.
0: <laughs> Yvonne, uh, could you tell us how many masks you actually had made to bring down and the range of them and, and the extraordinary... Um, ...why you had to try and make sure they didn't get damaged on the way down?
2: We have um, 12 masks, 6 large ones um, and 4 medium size. Then we also have um, 8 miniatures, um, which are the little Asaro matmen miniatures, very small. And we also have the um, body ornaments, we have the barcloth cloth penis wraps... Uh, we also have the cane fingers and, um, and two bamboo flutes. So that's the entire collection. In terms of the logistics of bringing that collection to the museum has been monumental, to say the least. Um, and uh, the reason is because um, the clay is, um, well, any mask, any items made of clay is extremely fragile, and we have to go all the way up to the Comunive to collect the masks from there. So everybody came on the four-wheel drive. Um, uh, everybody was holding the hollows very tightly. So we had the whole four-wheel drive. I was driving full of asaro people with the masks. And we, got we drove very slowly all the way down to Goroka. So we let everybody passing by. Everybody flies, you know what it's like along that motorway. So we just went slow, slow, and it took us forever to get back to Goroka. And then when we got there, we just put all the collection in the Birds of Paradise um, Hotel, in our room. Uh, So we have the whole display there. And then um, while all this stuff was happening, we have a carpenter, Goroka-based, thanks to the recommendation of CleanIt, called Kiki, and he was a master carpenter. He was simply amazing. Him and his team, they were working around the clock until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning to try to um, basically fill the criteria of how these crates are made. So um, they were incredible. The boxes, um, they were in boxes, which I brought all the packing materials from Sydney uh, because um, biosecurity would not allow any straw or any raw material to be part of any packing. So we have to organize the packing materials to be flown in from here. I took them, I grew them. It was more than 65 kilos, the cargo, with uh, four huge, gigantic bundles full of foam plus flat card boxes. So we brought all that all the way to Goroka. There was a lot of beds here at the museum because they didn't think that you know those massive card boxes were going to fit into the small aircraft, but they did. And then after that, um, we took the um, card boxes up to the carpenter's place, Kiki, and then we schedule everything. So with Kiki's wife um, and another girl who volunteered, we start building the internal boxes with the foam and each mask have to each box have to be specifically designed to fit each mask so you can see that each mask is very different so the one that we have in the middle have very pronounced eyebrows and gigantic ears so we have to fit the box to fit around the extremities of that mask so with the movement the foam will not put pressure on the extremities and then have them broken so we really need to work around the clock usually this type of work takes about 1 week uh, two weeks, with professional conservators. We did that in 1.5 days. We couldn't move the following day, everybody was just with aching everywhere, but we did it. And the carpenter was just working around the clock, him and another two guys, to make the crates. Then little by little, we fit every they were fitting the, the internal boxes inside the crates, and they have to ad- make adjustments a few times, but at the end, everything worked perfectly, and uh, we managed to bring them all the way to Sydney. Um, I would like to acknowledge Air New Guinea and New Guinea holidays because they were amazing. Without their support and waving over 328 kilo- kilograms, we wouldn't have been able to bring the whole collection to the museum. All grand staff were on the standby. Biosecurity in Australia, um, customs were on the standby. They didn't even inspect the whole cargo. They just inspect one box, just the top of the mask, and I said, go. So it was a monumental team effort. Um, there was no acknowledge- here. You cannot acknowledge one or two persons. Everybody has a part in bringing the collection safely to the Australian Museum, and every to- everybody took a lot of pride of bringing for first time the first collection of uh, mat mask um, to a major cultural institution in Sydney.
0: These uh, Holosa masks are incredibly distinctive. Every one is quite different. Could we get the 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 two? um madmen to elaborate on on just how do you go about deciding what face that you put on the uh, the masks
5: Horus or one kind or or amdor given a or say there over on the token kind or or
3: He's saying that um, there are different images, features of... uh, It's only a representation of different imaginations of ghosts that were told by their parents.
0: The one they made yesterday seemed to be smiling. Could you get them to talk about the differences between the, the scowling ones and the smiling ones? (laughs)
5: de <laughs> ritmereri mi kana okay, kum ha maso kusana je ene roro una en esa uribaro uribaro na anek uribar moron onyar a
3: k he am he say na um, yesterday for this for to be here it's first time out of the country and some of them are first time out of Goroka, first time on the flight. And, you know, because they were so happy and amazed and so <laughs> all want to spirit blow. So all put in face, blow, smile, they're they expressing their gratitude and this excitement and before they did this, they were at Bondi Beach, and it was <laughs> a classroom. <cultural. laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they said, this is the way of saying thank you to the Australian Museum. And they did a lick-lick, lick-lick head, one, and they gave it to this woman here, Yvonne. Yeah. And they said, thank you for making us smile at the Bondi Beach, and we are happy. <laughs> And they named, uh, he named the mask Gahie after his father.
0: Oh, good one.
3: So that's a happy spirit. Oh, yeah. That's what he's in. <laughs> Look, on, on that issue...
0: <laughs> could you ask uh, both Stephen and Jim their impressions? If this is the first time out of the Eastern Highlands... What are their impressions of Sydney?
5: We play come long. Sydney, Hamas pull up. Plus, plus we and another different. Plus we play. I we play Hamas. Look in you play, and you play look in me.
3: He said they come from a very village-like um, setting, and to town, and to city, and to bigger cities like this, is they amazed. And they're happy to see you.
0: Ah. <laughs> Stephen, do you have anything to say about your impressions?
4: I'm a place Sydney, i looking place looking kind, and i i looking kind. looking looking i <laughs> Thank you. I am
0: the Islam. I I think we need a translation.
3: They said they only see it in films or magazines, but it was, <laughs> they see, it, you know. <laughs> oh, it, it's interesting. While well, on that note, 2010, the holy people were here. They went with Yvonne to Bondai Junction. They were doing some shopping or yeah. And then, you know, they were eating and all of a sudden these white, you know, like big, huge um, wings just dropped from the ceiling and they said, Oh, who is this? What is this? Are oh, you yeah, all Angeloy, I'll talk? Angels from heaven, you know, like yeah. this old beautiful blonde, you know, all in huge wings, they were just Coming and they came and said, "Ah you know, looking, actually, we saw a letter from heaven coming down, and angels were coming, descending up. <laughs> you, you missed it. So yeah, they saw the other version of the angels. <laughs> That's, they are trying to share this:
0: um, This isn't the only performance uh, that they've put on today. Earlier today, they performed for a, a crowd at the um at the museum here and um unlike you people there were some young people who were terrified <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just like to ask uh, about the, the the reaction you get from young children.
4: Oh Pekinini Karaya Mipla two time people looking or pigini carino we play looking action low picking must uh cryna porti more tu make him la tamaran horosa
3: the mask is is made purposely for intimidation and to scare, so when the children cry and you know it it makes us feel like the' real ghosts <laughs> <laughs> That's what
0: Do you think any of those children are having nightmares tonight
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: He's saying that, yeah, definitely, it's (laughs) going to disturb them in the night because they've seen something they've never seen before.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there are quite a few children around Sydney tonight finding it very difficult to get to sleep. Um, Yvonne, what are the questions that you'd like posed by people having seen this demonstration and those masks?
2: The whole idea of bringing the community here is to have that close engagement with the Australian public. So, um, I have attended a lot of talks and conferences not long ago, about three weeks ago. I was with a very dear friend of mine, Florence Chaukai, who is a Goroka-based artist. She was giving a talk about her works on bilongware at the Sherman Gallery. And the, the whole gallery was packed. It was on Saturday morning. And she put, um, I mentioned to her, because we present together a paper in, at the Auckland Museum in March this year, and I always said to her, start your talk with a big, big map of Papua New Guinea and how close it is from Australia. So she did. And she put a gigantic, massive map, satellite map, where you can actually see how close um, Torres Strait is from Papua New Guinea. And I will say that half of the people sitting on that um, um, gallery, they were shocked. They were really shocked to find out how close we are from Papua New Guinea. And when things settled down, I just said, it's only 45 minutes walk on low time. And people turned around and they said, what? I said, yeah. People can't still, it seems like there is a bit of like, collective agnesia about who we are as a nation today in the 21st century, and who our neighbors are, and how close we are from Papua New Guinea. Um, I don't understand it. why. Um, As you said before, we all come from different ancestries, but we are the Pacific. We are right in the middle of the Pacific. Um, So one of the reasons why we want to do this type of cultural projects is to be able for the Australian public. It's not just about the collection, uh, that's one aspect of it, is multi-layer. One important aspect is to be able to have the people here to share the stories and to engage with Australian public, to have them, to look at them, for them to sit with the children and to, for these children to really be exposed to our neighbors. It's very simple. It's for them to be able to share that time with them you know, to to show them how to make holosa, but to be able to be close to them and shake hands and to say their names. It goes down to that, it's as simple as that. And that's why we think that is very important. Those reactions about the masks, yeah, is as to be expected. But personally, for me, the most important thing out of these type of projects is to have representatives of the community that we're working close with to come here and to engage with Australian public. To have that exposure.
0: Yeah, I think you're a uh, uh, a cultural anthropologist, but as you're saying, this goes a little bit beyond pure anthropology, doesn't
2: it? Well, there's no theoretical frameworks here. It's it's also known as ethnography, but I bring it down to cultural engagement. It's as simple as that. It's about Understanding what the role of this mask is, what it has been, aspects of the history, documenting all aspects of that mask, the stories behind what it might represent, whether it represent a particular spirit associated with our river, where the clay pit is, etc., etc. And then bring the people here so those perspectives are actually articulated by the people themselves. And then we label that, we'll have all aspects of. Uh, Documentation. This is one of the films that has been done by our cameraman, Dylan doiki from the University of Koroka. And, um, and it comes to that. Then we'll have the documentation of the mask. We'll have this video just as a background. Then we'll have a documentary made out of this project. And then the most important thing is that every aspect of cultural engagement with this type of projects is reciprocal. So Dylan has been following us and documenting everything that is happening during their stay here. He will put everything on a DVD, and then when they get back home, they will be able to share their experience back with the community community. They will organize a big kakai and everybody will come. These guys will organize a big sheet, which will, will be that like <coughs> the big screen. And then all the stuff that you look in here will be shown back to them. And that's how we work. So it goes beyond any discipline of anthropology. Being a cultural anthropologist um, is one aspect of getting the qualifications. But for me, my personal experience and dedication is about how can we engage, how can we do mutual beneficial projects that is going to go beyond making a collection and doing a, a thesis or doing a, a, a theory, an analysis about these masks. It's very simple and this is the type of project that I think is very important to do in the 21st Century Museum.
0: In Australia how would you like the documentary to be used?
2: In Australia it will be used to actually um, bring all aspects of this project in terms of their own perspectives, their histories, uh, aspect of this dramatisation. I mean, I couldn't believe when I saw this. We were actually in one of the long houses and we came out and Dylan was there filming in front of this gigantic flames that they were burning three houses and the whole community became actors even the piglets everybody was so good you know they were just trying to dramatize one aspect of that history and I was actually blown away I've never seen that before because here in Australia we always obsessed with bushfires so always need to see these three houses in flames and see everybody running for their lives it was pretty impressive I would like to um, whatever is being shown is definitely going to be shown in international film festivals for people to have a completely different insight about Holosa, what Holosa is, beyond what Stephen said, beyond tourism, beyond the commercialization, <laughs> and beyond a symbol of Papua New Guinea, because it's, it's, it's gone beyond regional icon, um, national icon and international icon. It's about bringing it down to the roots, what is Holosa from the point of view? And we would like the people to learn a little bit more of Holosa from this perspective.
0: Um, could I put a question to, to Jim and Stephen about whether they see this continuing, um, this evolution of the, the, the masks? Do they see more and more masks being made and, and different features and different aspects being brought into it?
4: Yeah. Okay, he's saying why
3: why they are participating here is not for anyone to see them as an object or to be studied as an object, but they would like to share it as a as a as a custom, as their traditional practice, as it was passed on from their generation, and they said yes, they would like to see it grow and passed on from, from the generation to generation, and they would like this to be, um, yes, yeah, So it belongs to us, so it's us, and we are here to share. We're only here to share what is ours.
0: I'd like to throw it open if we've got any questions from the audience. Whoops. Sorry, just wait for the microphone to... Thank you. Um, I just had a question about the um, symmetry of the masks, uh, which if you could actually ask Jim and Stephen about, they all are so symmetrical, like they're so perfect. Um, is there, and I'm just interested to sort of understand how um, important that is in terms of the way they're made and the way they're finished. And if, for example, they would ever consider if, if, if a mask was made asymmetrical, like one side was slightly different to the other, would they think any less of those masks or like them any less?
5: He said, I've never been to a school to
3: learn art, but it's all in here. As I am rolling and molding the mask, the shape, it comes here. So it's imaginations that I'm putting them in, like, it's his imaginations, this, the figure of the masks.
0: C- could you just get uh, Jim to explain how they make the mask with these long strips and put them in circles?
5: I don't know if I'm going He's saying
3: the first process is to mold and he know exactly the amount, the right amount of the clay to be rolled up so that it's it's because it's pure clay, he wouldn't want it to break because it's very fragile and it's also, it's uh, air dry, so he's very careful with it how much clay He's putting them together to roll, to mold, mold the mask. Mm-hmm.
0: And they gradually build it up, layer by layer by layer.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: He said yes. Welcome. To welcome our visitors, I'll speak in
2: Pidgin and English. belong uh, like asking you. Christmas. Uh, dance. Christmas. I'm asking what age they would learn the dance and would learn the ma- to make the masks.
5: Four years, let me plural anymore
3: When they are about four years old, they start teaching them how to do them <laughs> to the rolling.
0: sorry oh, yes. Oh.
3: Thanks. I want to con- uh, congratulate the museum on this initiative. As some of you know I've been trying for a couple of decades to get the museum back into interest in the Pacific and it looks like with the Pacific Gallery and this it's starting to happen. I'll just live a bit longer and see more. Um, I've got the hearing problem so I might have missed the things that I'm going to ask. Firstly I'm interested with the masks. Presumably they have to be dried for a while so that then, you know, because if they're all wet, it's going to collapse. So I wanted to know about that. And secondly, and again, I might have missed this, in the, the film, they're burning those little huts. And what's the significance of that?
5: I put him in a madman, I cooking the fire. I put him inside the house, wet, dry, and take him three days, <laughs> not three nights. <laughs> na sun dry, and... One and a half
3: day. After the mask is made, it's air dry for three days. And if it's, uh, if, uh, if it's out on the sun, it's one and a half day.
2: But the masks um, have been made about two and a half months ago. We wanted to make sure that they would be very, very dry before they were going to be packed. So when they were commissioned through a lot of discussions, um, they were done about two and a half months ago, and they 've been trying since nobody has been able to enter that place yeah. yeah, yeah, to make sure that they were going to be strong for the travel
0: What was the second question sorry the burning of the huts
3: yeah the. The burning of the house was the enactment of the... They used the mask, the holosa, the ghosts, to intimidate the tribal, the neighboring village, to attack them. And they kind of, they were terrified. They ran away and they burned down their house. It was only an enactment there.
0: It's a typical tribal fighting tactic. If the other side runs away, you burn down their houses.
3: I wanted to ask about the clay because uh, it's very beautiful, white clay. Um, and I'm wondering what else is made from clay because in my time in Garoka in the 70s, I don't remember seeing much pottery. <laughs> so, what else is is made out of clay?
4: Clay. And I uh, mix in one plus something inside of clay and pure clay. No, not plus something.
3: Uh, no other, like, thing, object f- apart from the mask. But in the, in, um, Dylan has, um, D- Dylan is my colleague, and I think from his, from his uh, uh, village, they do pen flute, clay pen flute. Uh, we are not much into clay pots and other pottery, but from them, it's only the mask. But uh, we have uh, you know the people are now being creative, though they, they, they do have this similar clay. And from where Dylan, my colleague, comes from, his grandfather. He 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 does the pan flute where it's not a man sorry, but the woman attracts the man in those days. So yeah, we have uh, we have documented that one. So yeah, we have but not into more uh, pottery, no. But only masks from the area.
0: Does the, is a particular mask used more than once, and if not, what what do they do with the mask when in, when the performance is over, that when it's been used?
4: Time <laughs> I want to keep him in the house.
3: After performance, they keep them in the house. It's it's good to keep them in the room temperature.
0: Any further questions?
2: Uh, Yeah, I just, uh, once I was in the Highlands and I saw a very large funeral procession where people had also put clay on their bodies and I was wondering what the meaning of that was. Is it related to this... Ceremony where people are meant to be like ghosts. Is it a similar story?
3: Um, the, the, the rubbing of the clay all over body is a um, is sign of mourning. That's throughout the highlands.
0: Yeah, you, you see that lots of times um, when someone's died, the putting of clay on. But the masks are something belong to Isla. <laughs>
1: um, thank you so much for that performance <laughs> and for this fascinating talk. I'm interested in how the masks are associated with ideas of masculinity and sort of male gender roles, and if they fit in with male rites of passage, um, and if, any, if women have any involvement with preparing the masks or can ever wear the masks. and
4: is slumber not.
3: He said no it belongs to men. Woman sorry.
4: Um sorry for the sake of the uh visitors by me talk talk pisena na this la grany y plazaximia long uh horose uh plastic hablong asaro just asking the uh, our visitors whether this clay is particularly only from horosia area or is around the whole asaro area
5: one these clays are
3: not found anywhere else but it, it it has a spot where they go there and they collect the clay and it's hidden.
4: Um, so my question is more so for the museum. Are there any special precautions being taken to maintain the um, state of the masks while they're, being, while they're gonna be down here?
2: We hope to have them on display very soon. Um, so they will be on display for a while. And after that, they will go back into the storerooms where they are on a um with the rest of the cultural material, the museum. The Pacific collections are around sixty thousand objects, so they all divide in three different floors and they are with um certain temperature, twenty three degrees, twenty degrees. So um yeah, they will be they will be here for many, many generations to come. Hi. Um first of all I very admire you, you are amazing people and thank you so much to the museum. It was a really amazing night. Sugan, so sorry for my English. Uh, I'm going to be a bit dramatic. Yeah, you were amazed by seeing Bondi and seeing all those buildings, but are you not scared that actually the Western uh, culture and all that's bringing to um, are you not scared that actually coming to you and
3: destroying your culture? Yeah, one, one interesting observation they, uh, from them, they, like from all of us, you know, at one stage people, you know, like uh, they, uh, what do I say? The missionaries, they went into our country, they said, you have to be full dressed you know like talking about Bondi. They teach us one thing. And like I'm from I'm a Highlander. I, I cannot even in my river I I don't have a bathroom. We share the river as our bathroom. And that's where we go do our do our you know washing laundry. That's where we fetch the water from. So we, we, we are dressed. Full dressed we go to the river to wash and even though my husband cannot see me, or my brother, I have to hide myself. So they were saying that they tell us one thing and they're doing the opposite
0: here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and also it is really a concern here where the audience of the cultural shows have been reduced and it's more tourist. And it is as a Papua New Guinean, as a filmmaker, I'm a bit, taken, like, OK, w- what are we going to do with this? Our culture is kind of dying. And it is a good, um, a good um, comment from this uh, young man here. Like, this, they were concerned. When you take this down to Australian museum, how are you going to take care of them? Because they belong to us. We only sharing them. <coughs> so that is their concern. And then when we were were to come the day before, they said, they challenged Yvonne, you tell us how you would look after them because they belong to us. If you don't take really good care of them down there, we're gonna be in trouble. So you may say that it's only an object, but no, it is living, it's alive. It's people's way of life. And it's about sharing and appreciating and acknowledging. That is why we are here.
0: Sorry, uh, I'd also like to congratulate the Australian Museum on this initiative and I hope that it's the first of others with other uh, groups throughout the Pacific. Um, I have a very basic question about the clay. It seems very white. Is that the colour it is when it's um, mined, for want of a better term? Or does it have ash or something added to it?
5: And said, look, clay, we play no mixing one plus on it, and pure clay. We know that from that, perhaps. We play all man we work in this, and we play second, Not taste in the So, clay, we play,
0: and okay.
3: No preservation, no color, no whatsoever. It's all natural, it's pure clay.
0: Sorry, we just got one last question.
3: Uh, this is probably a, a comment more than a question. Um, first, I'll speak in Pichin and then uh, translate into English. One plus something you may Papua New Guinea must be proud of is object something yeah and So what I'd like to say is one of the things that is often um, not spoken about is. What we have here is an object. The know-how and the and uh, 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 and 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 the cult- the intellectual property of these things actually owned by the people. So, even though we've got the material here, the know-how and the reason behind it belongs to them. Thank you.
0: Here, here. So, um, thank you all very much for coming. Could you thank the panel? I certainly think this is a terrific initiative. And um, Yvonne, excellent work. Well done.
4: This has been an Australian Museum podcast.